We have a question about a Vedana feeling. Someone is commenting uh, that usually pleasant or unpleasant feeling are quite distinct and easy to notice. But then at other times uh, the feeling is a little bit fuzzy and it's not quite so clear what it feels like actually. And how can we direct the mind to contemplate that? One possibility is that it's uh, the neutral feeling. You see, it's not um, it's not a kind of binary thing. That it's either really pleasant, completely neutral, or really unpleasant. But it can come in all uh, gradations and all intensity, and it can be just a little bit pleasant. And if it's just a little bit pleasant, it's very difficult to distinguish from neutral. So there's um, a wide, very wide range of different grades, how pleasant or how unpleasant. In general, it doesn't matter so much if you can't fully figure the very weak ones, because the ones which uh, cause us problems or give us motivation is usually the stronger ones. So if you can't fully say whether it's a neutral feeling or whether it's very slightly unpleasant or very slightly pleasant, this is just a matter of sharpening mindfulness. As mindfulness becomes sharper and as the mind settles down and gets more focused, it should be possible to recognize it sharper and more distinct. But the more important ones are usually the stronger ones because they cause us to develop craving. Vedana is the condition for craving. And usually if it's a pleasant feeling, then we run after it, we grasp at it, we try to keep it, to acquire it. If it is an unpleasant feeling, then the opposite, we reject it and try to get rid of it. Both is based on craving, tanna. But the very subtle ones, with just a very little bit pleasant, or you can't even say is it rather a little bit pleasant or slightly unpleasant, that usually doesn't cause too much craving. It's not such a big problem. But over time, as our mind settles more down in samadhi, and gets more focus, and as our mindfulness is sharpening and awareness is increasing, it becomes uh, easier to notice even the very subtle feelings. There's actually some which are important even if they are subtle, because a lot of the happiness we get from our Dhamma practice may manifest in, in that way in the beginning. The worldly feelings are usually quite strong. If one has a headache, you usually, you usually find it easy to identify that as unpleasant. And if one has a really nice meal of your favorite food, it's easy to identify it as pleasant. But for example, the happiness that comes from being virtuous, of keeping precepts, what the Buddha calls Anavajra Sukha, a blameless happiness, what he calls avipati sada, freedom from remorse. But th that can be quite subtle. 
and sometimes people may not notice it. So in that sense, no, even subtle feelings can actually be quite important. And uh, it is valuable to strengthen one's mindfulness to identify that kind of feeling. The same with the Avyaseka Sukha. The unsullied happiness which comes from sense restraint may not be so apparent. So for this um, spiritual happiness, I think it is an important exercise to sharpen one's mindfulness that one can identify them. Another reason can be that you have a kind of combination there. For example, when you practice sense restraint, there can also be unpleasant feelings. There are like eight precepts what you're now going to do. Then you don't eat in the afternoon. If you're not used to that, then you may feel hungry in the afternoon. The feeling hungry is obviously usually an unpleasant feeling. And then there are other forms of restraint when you're used to entertainment, music, and you cut that all out, and then there's a certain feeling of deprivation, so it feels a bit unpleasant. And that one may be fairly easy to notice. At the same time, if you have that beautiful freedom after the meal, and until next morning you don't have to worry about food, and you also don't have this heaviness which comes from digestion, you will notice if you eat before 12, and then by 3, 4, particular 5 p.m., the digestion is really finished, and you feel quite light, and you also start enjoying that happiness from sense restraint, but you don't have the entertainment, you don't have so much talking, you don't have music to stir up emotions. But that happiness again can be quite subtle. And physically you may have an unpleasant feeling from hunger. So uh, it is valuable to sharpen one's mindfulness to identify that feeling. In particular the combination, if you have a physical unpleasant feeling and a mental pleasant one then of course it can become difficult sometimes to figure out what's going on and this is why we have another distinction between mental feelings and physical ones the same if we are sick if someone may be sick and there may be some even chronic pain condition or just some pain during the sickness. So then the body may be in considerable physical pain. But at the same time, you can maybe contemplate the Buddha. You repeat it if you saw Bhagavada, Sama, some Buddha, and you think of the Buddha, you imagine a beautiful Buddha statue. And then you have a kind of two feelings. You have got a physical pain and uh, a mental happy feeling from contemplating the Buddha. But the mental one is often more subtle, so one may not notice it so much. 
But if someone has a very well-trained mind, they may be able to focus so much on that mental happiness that they don't really notice the physical pain anymore. And then in Samadhi, then there's only the mental happiness and the physical pain is no longer... Um, when it's no longer aware of the physical pain at all in Samadhi. But in the beginning it's quite difficult. Now, if you have some pain, you're sick, and now you try to do some inspiring contemplation to give you some happiness, now that subtle happiness from contemplating the Buddha or Metta may be difficult to pick up, as the physical pain is very present. So it's a great exercise to sharpen one's mindfulness, to you know, recognize these very subtle feelings. The mental ones tend to be more subtle. The more I think about it, now, in the beginning I said you know, the crucial one is often the coarser ones because they trigger another craving. But now talking about it, I realize more and more that it's actually also important to learn to figure out the subtle ones. Another mental feeling that can be depression. Even completely healthy people who don't have any pain, no physical pain, they can get very depressed. The mental dejection. And again, the danger here is sometimes people don't notice that. Because it can creep in very slowly. And people start they're getting used to having this slight mental dejection. In particular, if these things creep in slowly over a long time, sometimes years, it's very, very difficult to notice. If someone is wrecking us, hitting us, then there's an immediate strong pain. Anyone can notice that. But if for whatever reason, maybe you're overworked or due to um, lockdown or pandemic or whatever, and then gradually, very gradually, your mind becomes dejected, that can be difficult to identify. And it's important to have that mindfulness because in a state of dejection, and mental depression and so on is also unwholesome. And when people finally notice it, and they're already in a clinical depression, it's very difficult to get out of it. So it's important to notice states of dejection, depression early enough. And then to make an effort to focus on mudita, sympathetic joy, focusing on loving kindness, loving kindness, wishing well to all beings without distinction contemplating the Buddha and his infinite virtues, his supreme knowledge and liberation, his perfect samadhi and psychic powers, his infinite compassion and teaching. These things never uplift the mind. So I think it's actually a very important question and uh, you're quite right, and one has to learn to distinguish even these subtle feelings and where one can't figure it out in the beginning because they may be very important ones. 
And as we develop our Dhamma practice, and it's so important to notice this um, wholesome happiness which is building up very slowly. I had a lot of discomfort this week after the vaccine booster. I was observing that not all parts of me felt pain, observing areas of neutral feeling and the qualities of the Buddha helped me not become consumed by the perceptions of unpleasant feeling. I was thinking about your comments on the Brahma Viharas and it helped a lot. Glad to hear, Joe, that I could say something useful to you. Not surprising that it helped me. It is the advice of the Buddha. And even if we have physical pain, if our mind is strong and can really focus on a wholesome mental object, it is even possible to overcome strong physical pain. But it's helpful to develop that before we are sick or before we have a chronic pain condition. When once we are sick, you know, this is being thrown in at the deep end and we have to try our best. But to anyone who doesn't have physical pain right now, and I can strongly recommend that try to make progress in samatha samadhi practice, because it's much easier if the pain is not yet there. And once one has already some experience you know, in generating this wholesome happiness and bliss, and developing samadhi, and it's easier to succeed with that, even if there are pains in the body. It's quite an interesting comment. He also said, observing areas of neutral feelings and the qualities of the Buddha. Yeah. Not all parts of me felt pain. Yes. Unfortunately, pain has the effect that it's almost locking our mind onto the pain. We are curiously attached and identified with painful feeling as well. And it's funny because one would think, why would I want to identify with something that is so unpleasant? But in reality, we are. And even the attitude of rejecting the pain and trying to get rid of it, that is actually also a form of identification and clinging and attachment. And one can notice that the more I fight the pain and desperately try to get rid of the pain, the more unpleasant is the experience. Someone actually once mentioned, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, you know, this funny formula, like, like one of these uh, math formulas. So if you take pain and multiply it by resistance, that equals suffering. <laughs> so if you have a pain of 10 points, and then you have got very strong resistance, 100, 
10 times 100 is 1,000. So your suffering you're experiencing is 1,000 points. Whereas if you have the same pain graded at 10, 10 points, and you have only 10 points of resistance, 10 by 10 is 100, and you have got only 100 suffering. But the really nice one is if you have even a strong pain, much worse, a 100 points pain, but you have zero resistance. 100 by zero, still zero. It's quite a nice formula to remember. So Joe, this is a really important contemplation that when you work with pain, to distinguish the feeling of pain, the Vedana, from the mental resistance, what the Buddha calls patiga. In our experience, in the subjective experience, they are usually very close and difficult to tell apart. So a major task for wisdom, panya, in Dukkha Vedana contemplation, in pain contemplation, is exactly distinguishing these two. What is actually the physical pain and what is the mental resistance? The not wanting that pain, the wanting to get rid of that pain. And then also the whinging, why me and why do I always have more pain and it's also unfair, all these things. Because once we have strong resistance, then, then comes all this mental pain on top of the physical one. But blessings, I hope the pain will be impermanent. This is where impermanent is on our side. Now the end of painful feeling is pleasant. In principle, there are two approaches of dealing with pain, and one can use both at different times. The one is a samadhi approach, samatha. So you have got a painful condition in your body, or you could even have some mental ejection, and then one focuses on a very uplifting, wholesome meditation object like the Buddha, loving kindness. And if your focus is strong enough, if you can mentally focus sufficiently strong, you may be able to completely forget about the physical pain. And the mental happiness can be so strong, that certainly when the mind attains samadhi, then the physical pain would be gone. You can't feel it anymore, and you're just in bliss. But the Buddha would, of course, do that. And he was old and suffered from various pains. And he said to Venerable Ananda that in Samadhi he can, obviously his body is free from that. 
even if we can't do that completely, at least it gives us a little bit of a break, because there's also some happiness in the mind, and we can at least focus primarily on the mental happiness, and then the pain is not quite so bad. The other approach is uh, inside vipassana, using wisdom, panya, and investigating the pain. For that one, it is so important to understand that the point not, is not to get rid of the pain. But wanting to get rid of the pain is actually the, the root problem of it all. So for samatha, one actually tries to get rid of the pain because you're just with this mental happiness, samadhi, and you wouldn't feel the pain anymore. But it's temporary. At some stage, even the deepest samadhi, the mind will come out. And if the physical condition is still there, then the pain is straight away back again. But it gives one at least a break. Whereas in Vipassana, the, the whole point is we are not trying to get rid of the pain. But we are trying to get rid of the wanting to get rid. That is the one. Now identifying, distinguishing between the pain and the mental resistance and then letting go of the mental resistance. And the moment we can do that, then there will be no mental pain anymore. And the physical pain which still remains will be much more bearable. Thank you to Joe for a nice, um, useful question to discuss. I hope your pain will come to an end soon. It's already much better. Glad to hear that you're already better, Joe. Any other? It's good to have one's meditation well established before the real pain comes. <laughs> and you can also start once the pain condition is there. Now that is like, as I say, being thrown in at the deep end. But it's definitely easier to develop one's samadhi and panya why the pain is not yet there, and then it becomes easier not to use tools and skills we already have developed. And pain contemplation is not a very pleasant meditation object by definition, but it can lead to very uh, very good progress, quick progress. For example, you may have noticed that when you don't do pain contemplation, you do anapanasati, breath meditation, metta, contemplation of the Buddha, and it feels quite pleasant right from the beginning. 
But you may have noticed the one problem, for example, is before we know we start nodding and going to sleep. If you do Dukkha Vedana meditation, you usually don't go to sleep easily. The pain keeps you awake. You may have also noticed that you do breath meditation, loving kindness, Buddha Nusati. And before you know, your mind is in some fantasy. Your mind is remembering the past, whinging about the past, planning the future, fantasizing this beautiful holiday and so on. Can happen easily, isn't it? Again, if you have a really strong pain, it's quite unlikely that your mind will get lost in in beautiful fantasies. Pain is too strong. For that reason, uh, if one has the wisdom and determination and skills and mindfulness to work with uh, Dukkha Vedana, it can be a very um, beneficial meditation object with really good progress. It also gives this urgency. As long as we are comfortable, there's not this sense of urgency and we are messing around with our meditation, just sitting there, but dozing and thinking a lot. But if you have some really good pain, that is usually all out of the window and your your mind is white with it. There's a question about neutral feeling and uh, the mind drifting off in uh, metta, loving-kindness meditation. Now for samadhi, a neutral feeling, uh, at least say to to start samadhi, to get your samadhi going, the neutral feeling is not suitable. And if the mind is wandering, as you pointed out quite correctly, if you're doing metta meditation, breath meditation, Nusati and the mind is wandering, it usually indicates there's not enough uh, rapture and gladness and bliss and happiness. Now, the whole idea of samadhi is now, that the happiness arising is also locking your mind, just like the strong painful feeling that tends to lock the mind onto it, but also in a very strong happy feeling which we call in the piti, sukha, rapture and bliss, in uh, samadhi meditation is a crucial ingredient. So usually if one has a strongly wandering mind, it, indi- it indicates that one doesn't have enough palmodra, piti, sukha, not enough gladness, rapture and bliss in one's samadhi meditation, else the mind wouldn't wander. So the uh, neutral feeling is uh, quite unsuitable for establishing samadhi. And if one notices that there is neutral feeling, while one tries to develop samatha, the task is to turn that neutral feeling into wholesome, pleasant feeling, what the Buddha calls paramodja, the gladness or joy. And then that gladness and joy has to be further increase until it suffuses the whole body and becomes so intense that the mind is carried away by bliss. 
and only in the third and then particular the fourth jhana this become neutral feeling important and uh, leads to progress but I don't think you can go there right from the neutral feeling the first has to be the rapture and bliss and only then later the mind can let go of the rapture and bliss and establish itself only on the neutral feeling, the opeka, complete perfect equanimity and neutral feeling you have in the fourth jhana. A crucial one, if he experiences neutral feeling, the Buddha talks about the neutral feeling based on basically ignorance or based on understanding and knowledge and insight. But on charcoal, the first one, the equanimity of a water buffalo. Now they're often quite equanimous in the sense they're quite indifferent as long as they have some straw and some water hole and they're, they're okay then they don't bother much about anything. But that is coming from a lack of wisdom, knowledge and understanding. But the really valuable neutral feeling is the one which is a result of contemplating impermanence. Now for example, if we do have a painful physical condition and then we contemplate it, as a result of that contemplation and seeing that pain is not me, not mine, as impermanent, not lasting, as something depending on conditions and arising and passing away with those conditions, then a mental neutral feeling is established. A mental neutral feeling is now largely synonymous with upekka, with equanimity. So we can have a physical painful feeling and a mental neutral one. And then the whole attitude of upeka, of equanimity, neither liking nor disliking. And then the mind is at ease even while the pain is still there. The result of samadhi is that the pain is no longer there. All you experience is novatra and bliss. But it's impermanent, you come out of samadhi and as long as the pain condition is still there in the body then it will be wiped back the pain. As a point of insight is that the mind is equanimous and has mental neutral feeling even while the physical pain is still there. That's the amazing thing, that the mind can be at ease even when the physical pain is still there. And that is what you see when the Buddha is presented in the Parinibbana posture, lying on the right side. Because the Buddha had a very intense pain that night. Very, very intense pain. But the peace you see there is the equanimity, the mental equanimity. Although he had no piercing, racking feelings in his whole body in particular, in, in the tummy, his mind would only experience neutral 
feeling and equanimity. You're to feeling the based on the inside of impermanence, not safe. The based in this case, no, not so much anymore in contemplation, because now all the co contemplation has been bhavana, meditation has been completed by the Buddha under the Bodhi tree, and, and uh, there's no possibility that his mind could ever uh, uh, identify again with painful feeling or any feeling. So that is near the upeka of an arahant, upeka based on the, on the destruction of defilements and based on the extinction of delusion, extinction of ignorance, the end of any illusion of self, me and mine. I find the Pavanibana statue really inspiring for that reason. I mean the gesture with touching the earth that reminds us of the supreme victory over Mava. So, of course, now it's also super inspiring. And the te teaching, like our Buddha statue, the Buddha now sharing the experience of total freedom of suffering. Uh, supreme liberation he has realized and sharing that with others. But Pavinibana is also really inspiring to me at the moment when I remember this beautiful peacefulness you see the Buddha lying on his right side actually he had a very very intense pain and it's not uh, something only for the Buddha but for every other hunter they will have that freedom that even if their body is in excruciating pain that their mind can be completely and totally equanimous and has only mental neutral feeling no disliking of the pain, no rejection, no struggling, no identification, no attachment, no clinging. It's so silly that we cling to pain, isn't it? <laughs> it's like the grasping a red-hot ember and then clinging to it. So counterproductive, but that is our normal response. It's fascinating to observe that. And when you experience pain, you can notice now how you observe that, look at that, and how the mind is actually counterproductively you know, grasping at that pain and holding on to it. And the very rejection is actually a manifestation of that identification and, and grasping. And the more you reject the pain and the more you push it away and try to get rid of it, and it's totally counterproductive. It sticks the more you push. It's like, like a chewing gum or some, some glue. When you work with glue, it always sticks in the wrong place. Ne? Try to glue two things together, but then you have some glue on your finger and it gets stuck on on the finger and not where you want to glue. As a similar when you 
reject the pain and try to get rid of it and so on that actually sticks even more to you. It's like you have some sticky glue and now you try to clean it up. But of course the moment you touch the glue and it, it, it sticks, cannot get rid like that. It doesn't work. And then when you take the other hand to, to clean, then the other hand is also glued, and both hands glued together. This is what happens with pain. Uh, also with mental pain, this is why people get really lost in depression. Because their mind grasps at that pain, identifies with it. It makes it even worse. So what we have to do with pain is uh, don't get rid of the pain, don't try to get rid of the pain. Try to get rid of the aversion against the pain. Try to get rid of that resistance and that fighting against it. Yeah, yeah very interesting question. Uh, Nip is pointing out in particular the distinction of uh, worldly and spiritual feeling, which we haven't mentioned yet. And that can be one which is quite difficult to figure out because the spiritual feelings is the ones we want to develop. The worldly ones is the ones we want to abandon. And uh, I think one example you gave, uh, sometimes there may be some wholesome thoughts and an unpleasant feeling for example, someone is really hurting us badly and we try not to be angry, we try not to retaliate but to patiently endure and even to develop matter. And so you're thinking, may you be happy and well, may you abandon all anger and delusion, may you attain enlightenment. But you're still in a hurting because the person did something very harmful to you. And when you're thinking these thoughts of matter, trying to think these thoughts of matter to this person who is hurting and harming you, it may not feel nice. It may feel much nicer if you're thinking thoughts of anger, if you imagine how you're roasting them and punishing them. But the wholesome thoughts are the ones of matter and forgiveness and compassion and wishing them that they abandon their delusion, that they abandon their uh, aggression and anger and so on and cruelty. But it may not feel nice. So that would be, I think, a, a kind of spiritual painful feeling. Because at least you're trying to develop the wholesome mind state. Now it's very difficult if the person is hurting you to wish them well. Because if you do the opposite and you sit there for an hour imagining how you can harm and hurt them to take revenge, that may feel very pleasant. But that would be in a very unwholesome, worldly, pleasant feeling. So I totally agree with you, and both combinations are there. Again, if someone feels very conceited that they are better than others, that may feel pleasant for them. It's very unwholesome, and it's a worldly feeling. Well, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, it's a very important point. And that is probably one of the most difficult to make that distinction.
to always notice whether that is a worldly or a spiritual feeling. Okay, if there's no other questions, may you all be free from pain and suffering. May all beings enjoy long life, health and happiness. <laughs>